With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body. You're infected with it. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello. Oh yeah, back at it again. It's another edition here on the February 12th Infectious Scouting Podcast. I am your host, Rick Saratella. Tell it like it is when it comes to the NFL draft since 2002. It's what we do. Of course, I'll be joined by my cohort and my co-host, Russell Landy. Here in just a second, had a chance to link up with Ross Down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. We'll talk about that. Uh, We're going to preview the NFL Scouting Combine, where we'll be uh, congregating once again, leading up to the 2020 NFL Draft. And make sure you check out that NFL Draft Bible over on NFLDraftBible.com. We will have over 500 scouting reports in this year's book, one of the few hard copy books still available when it comes to NFL Draft Guides. And we are dropping our All-Star Recap slash NFL Combine Primer in about the next week or so, and you'll be able to download scouting reports on every single player who participated in the Senior Bowl, East-West Shrine Game, and the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl. But today, like I said, uh, we've got Russell Landy checking in with our Senior Bowl recap. We're going to preview the NFL Scouting Combine and also talk about the Sports Management Worldwide Football Career Conference that goes on during the week of the NFL Scott and Combine, who uh, Russ and myself, that's actually where we got reacquainted uh, after, you know, kind of kind of knowing each other throughout the years, but really getting to know each other very well on these sports management worldwide panels. And we'll welcome him into the show right now. It kind of gave birth here to the infectious Scott and podcast. How are we doing today, Russ? What's going on, big timer? <laughs> Trying to keep up with the landies of the world. How are you, my friend? Oh, life is good, man. I mean, we got the NFL Combine right around the corner. CFL free agency kicked off yesterday. So, I mean, it's like it's a zoo of craziness, and it's all good. Well, take us through that process since, you know, you're back up north uh, working in the Canadian Football League. You know, uh, Everybody in America is kind of caught up with this whole XFL fever. They're they're looking forward to the NFL draft. But up north, you guys are, uh, you know, going through your free agent process right now. Yeah, I mean, it's not – this year I have not been as involved as I have in the past just because I just joined the organization and I'm still trying to figure out what type of schemes we're going to be playing and things like that. But I know that the guys up in Calgary and, and across the league, they've all been just sort of diving in, um, getting ready for this. The league instituted this year sort of a, what the NFL tried to do a few years ago, sort of that w- free agent window before it kicks off where you're allowed to talk to the players and stuff like that. And I think it allowed a number of teams around the league to sort of say, okay, which players really are 
willing to talk or which ones already have decided they want to play in a certain city or play for a certain coach. So it was really, it's been interesting. I, like I said, I've been more of, of an observer this year. I think that will hopefully grow over time, but uh, I have to sort of acquaint myself with what we're doing offensively and defensively and, and figure out where I can contribute best to help us. But, uh, it's always fun when you're uh, able to add players, and we added a number of guys yesterday that uh, hopefully are going to help us uh, continue the great winning tradition that Calgary has. Well, we'll be keeping tabs on the Calgary Stampeders. Of course, a uh, longtime member of the Montreal Alouettes, the Cleveland Browns, Los Angeles Rams, UCLA Bruins, but let's not forget the original – XFL, Russ, you were involved with the XFL the first go-around as a scout, and now uh, we just had the first weekend of the XFL. Uh, any initial thoughts and impressions? Did you get a chance to tune in and check any of it out? You know, I got a chance to peek it a little bit. I did get a chance, more importantly, to talk to a bunch of people who really were able to watch it. Um, and, you know, you got to be happy for the XFL. I mean, there were no real glitches in terms of – weird things that they didn't anticipate that at least if they were, we didn't see them. Um, I thought the broadcast went well. Um, I think the big thing is going to be, and and it's similar, even though the way they've marketed it and the game itself is very different than the first go around with the XFL. As you probably remember, the first two weeks of the original XFL had unbelievable ratings. Um, But over the course of the next month or two after that, the game sort of fell off in terms of ratings and you don't want to see that, but you hope that you hope that the XFL now can sort of find a way to keep its footing because that's the whole key. They have to maintain high ratings throughout the year in order for these networks to want to continue to put the games on the air next year because that's the only way a secondary league is going to survive is to have it on major broadcast networks and make money from those networks, not just put it on there for free. So I was excited by what I saw. Excited, more importantly, by the buzz, and you probably saw it because you're social media too, but the Twitter world was going crazy over the first few games of the XFL. They were tweeting about it. They loved the new kickoff rule. People really seemed excited about a lot of the things that were going on. Um, I just think it's really going to come down to two things, really. Is there enough quality play at quarterback to Mm -hmm. keep the scoring high enough to keep the fans interested? And secondarily, now that the first week or maybe next week too, the first week or two of the hype of the league is over, do people continue to say, I really want to watch spring football? Or do people say, you know what? We are just about at the NFL combine. It's time to dive back into the NFL and the NFL draft season. All of a sudden, the XFL becomes an afterthought. Obviously, I hope that is not the case, but I think that's where the XFL needs to make sure this week and next week, the games are really good. Hopefully there's some high scoring games to keep the fans interested and not just turning the page to the NFL draft. No, you hit the nail on the head. They have to sustain and 3.3 million viewers on the first game broadcast. Very good. As you said, first time around, it was also very good. And just for the record, Alliance football league first game, 2.9 million viewers. So it's about sustaining. I thought it was interesting. I was talking to a former NFL GM yesterday, and, you know, I brought up the point, well, hey, if we got $500 million in reserve, you know, why not throw a million bucks, two million bucks out of Trevor Lawrence to have him come play in the XFL? And, 
you know, to me, to your point, I think a Tim Tebow, a Colin Kaepernick, a Johnny Mandel, I think would be a healthy relationship and beneficial for all parties involved. So hopefully they can sustain because, Russ, when we go out to the Combine, you know, remember now they're, they're sh- shifting gears now. The Combine will be in prime time. So they'll be going up against the XFL during that Combine weekend. And I think that will be the telltale tell-all of whether or not the XFL is going to survive because they'll be about a month into the process going up against that NFL combine. How will they draw? Will they tune into the combine? Will they tune into the XFL? We shall see. But um, let's transition into uh, Alabama mode. We had a chance to link up down there in Mobile. And, uh, you know, I spent three weeks on the road and and, uh, had a chance to soak in. By the time I got to Mobile, it was all about eating, my friend. And, uh, you know, just for the, uh, the the backstory, for those who don't know, you know, Russell uh, uh, coordinated a meeting of the minds with some really great football minds uh, at the table. But more importantly, you know, he was chatting up this Italian restaurant in Mobile. And I'm saying to myself, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, what, what am I getting into here? This is like ordering pizza in Vegas. Uh, Italian restaurant in Mobile, Alabama. What's going on? And uh, so we winded up going to the restaurant. I forget what it's called. Let's give them a shout out here, Russ. It's Via Amelia. It's been my go-to restaurant in Mobile, Alabama for about 13 years now. And the Via Amelia. So what are the reviews? They do it right. They do it right. And, And shout out to the whole uh, talk about family-owned and operated. They 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 made us so welcome and feel like them. Now, when you walk in and you see there's no menus, just whatever whatever we got today, we're gonna put it on the chalkboard. Okay, you know you're in a yep, exactly. Right there. <laughs> but man, that was that was probably the highlight of my journey and and my travels. And as you know, as a fellow scout, Russ, it's all about the food, my friend. No doubt, and I got to tell you, I was so pumped because I know you. I, I know you. you. You're from Jersey. You don't want the Italian food, and I, and I could see the skepticism on your face the day before when I'm telling you we're going to have Italian food in Mobile. I mean, one of the guys didn't even show. He just couldn't get over that we were trying to get him to go to get Italian food in Mobile. But you know what? Every year I got people that are saying, you got to be out of your mind. What are we doing? And everybody that goes there says, all right, this place works. I can do this. So uh, I was very, very happy to see you and see the whole crew there. It was great. We had a great bunch of people with you and Chad Ryder and and Cecil uh, Cecil Lammy was there, Matt Waldman. I mean, we had a great group of guys there. And it was really good, I think, also for everybody that may may not have have known each other particularly well to really get a chance to sit around and and get to know each other and learn more about what they each do and and how they work in this business. And all it can do is help everybody. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. Shout out to Eric Edholm and Joe Everett. We had a great time. Great to sit down with uh, Matt Waldman, too, because if there's any other draft guide I'm going to pick up outside of the NFL Draft Bible, it's the rookie scouting portfolio that Matt Waldman does, and he does a really good job there, really in-depth and uh, you know, between the draft Bible and the rookie scouting portfolio and this podcast, that's all you need right now to get ready for the 2020 NFL draft. But, uh, oh, there's no doubt. That's right, dude. The draft Bible is just a bomb because it's just a giant crater that takes in everything draft related and eats it for dinner. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. It's a moving force, man. I feel like I went to the black hole and never came back from it. But uh, <laughs> I tell you, um, you know, I'm going to start off with this one player, Russ, down there at the Senior Bowl, and he also falls into the category that, of a player that I'm excited to see out in the combine. And I go back every year. There's always a guy, and I'm not always right about it, but there's always a guy coming out of Mobile that I feel like, uh, despite a solid week, doesn't get the respect he deserves. And, you know, I know last year Montez Sweat kind of had a heart thing, but I left Mobile thinking, hey, here's a top 10 pick. I know he slid. A couple years ago, it was Noah Spence, the defensive end, who I was probably wrong on. I think he winded up going into the second round. And it was more injury than performance in the NFL, I think, as to the reason why he struggled. No and then last year, you know, I left Mobile saying, hey, this Ohio statewide receiver, Terry McLaren, I don't get it. I saw a first-round guy talk to scouts. Yep, I'm right there with him. you. Nobody else really had the love, so I gave him a round two grade. He goes, I think, in round three, winds up outperforming every wide receiver in this year's draft class. And this year, to me, the guy who stood out that I was just blown away by, thoroughly impressed, and maybe I shouldn't have been because his father is Sean Jefferson, but that is Florida wide receiver Van Jefferson. This guy is a smooth operator, very fluid, great hands, excellent route runner, and just made plays all week long down in Mobile. Yeah, I got to say, when you look at the, this year's class there, and I'm not saying the overall class in the draft, but in mobile receivers, there are a bunch of solid guys. But I think Jefferson, to me, I agree with you. He was one of the few receivers who really stood out and said, hey, don't don't bunch me in this group. I'm I'm above the group. He really stepped up and showed that he was the best guy, at least for that week in Mobile. He was the best guy. He stood out, shined. You know, I got to give you credit, though. You mentioned the guy, and this is way back in August when we first started doing this thing. You began hyping this small school kid, and this kid goes down to Mobile. And no, he wasn't the best player there by any stretch. I'm not saying, oh, he's the best guy at Super Bowl. But I got to tell you, you're, you're a kid from Dayton. Your tight end, Adam Troutman, he opened some eyes. I mean, he, he showed, I think, most people, when they see a small school tight end, they end up at one of those games, they expect, okay, this guy was dominant small school, and he gets to one of these games, and, oh, look, he's, he's, he's a lesser athlete than the rest of these guys from the big schools, and not really impressive. This kid, not at all. I think athletically, he showed he's there with pretty much everybody. I think teams came away very impressed. And I think, although he's not going to probably get drafted in that same area as maybe the kid from Purdue and maybe the kid from Missouri, I think this kid set him up himself up to, at worst case, be a third rounder. And I think he could jump into that second round if a team's got a little bit of courage and, and, and wants a receiving tight end, but one who also has the size and strength to be a good blocker. This is a guy I think is going to go higher than people think. He really impressed me all week. And, you know, I, I always have impressed certain guys that I've never heard of before. The kid, Travis Gibson, I think I had come to you and asked you who that guy was because I didn't have my roster with me. The, the DM out of Tulsa, I mean, he's, he's not a huge yep. kid, but, man, he's electric in terms of his foot quickness, his quick twitch. He just There's something about that kid. When you watch him move, he's got that sudden explosion that gets you excited that, man, if you're a defensive coordinator, even if he's not ideally sized, if you're a defensive coordinator, you can figure out ways to get him a little space 
he could be a dynamic guy going forward and chasing down quarterbacks. Well, yeah, to your point, he is going to go on to have a more successful NFL career, pro career, than collegiate career because he was kind of playing out of, out of position there in Tulsa, and they moved him around. They kind of had him out of position, had a chance to go to Mobile and, and uh, you know, show off some of those pass rush moves. But I agree. Travis Gibson, I mean, uh, that guy is a borderline top 100 guy. If not, day three rolls around, uh, round four. I'm expecting to hear his name called. And, you know, Troutman, listen, from the moment he walked across that podium at the weigh-ins on uh, Monday or Tuesday, whatever day that was, from the moment he walked across the podium throughout the week, I mean, after every practice, there was literally NFL teams in line waiting to talk yep. to this kid. 100%. And, yeah, I mean, I you he know created what? a real buzz. He did. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go on record and say he's a dark horse, very dark horse candidate to go in round one. And it would not surprise me with a strong combine effort if he was the first tight end off the board. It might surprise some others, but I would not be shocked after seeing uh, Adam Shaheen and uh, Dallas Goder and some of these other tight ends come off the board. Troutman, I think, is just as, if not more impressive than those guys coming out. Oh, it could be comparing the machine, it's not even close. I think that he's a, he was a far better player, um, an athlete, to me, coming out than she and she and you were sort of almost guessing. You're almost betting exclusively on the athlete, not on what he did in college. Um, and Goddard, I mean, that's a, sort of a six and one half dozen the other. I think he's right there with him. I, I agree with you. I mean, is, is it possible he gets into that first round? Anything's possible. I still think he's more of a, a second round guy. But I really like the kid. I mean, when we talk about it, you look at a guy like the Hopkins kid out of Purdue. I mean, Hopkins to me is a little bit more of a polished receiver, uh, a little bit, maybe a little bit better out of his breaks. But the difference is Hopkins isn't that thickly built kid. Whereas Troutman, when I look at him, he looks like a big traditional tight end, but he moves like a receiving tight end. That's what gets me excited about him in terms of the ability to use him in a variety of roles. He's not just going to be, lining up and going and catching balls. He's going to contribute as a blocker. You're going to be able to use him in a lot of spots. I really like the kid. No, I think he's got a bright NFL future ahead of him. And uh, as do, to me, the two the two consensus first-round guys to me, uh, and I think they're both top ten bound, is, is Herbert and Kinlaw. And I think Kinlaw, you know, I think his agent had him shut it down after a couple of days because he just came out and killed it. And, you know, I think he said, hey, my work is done here. Uh, Herbert, I, I would still say there's a chance for him to be number one overall, Russ. I, I'd like to get your opinion on that. But uh, to me, I think if you were a Herbert uh, fan going into Mobile, you left a Herbert fan. And if you had your doubts, I don't think he did enough to kind of squash the, the doubters and the haters out there. But I'll continue to say this leading up to the draft. For me, for whatever it's worth, Justin Herbert is a better prospect than Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones went sixth overall last year. Take that for whatever it's worth. Oh, I think there's no question, especially when you look at just pure physical talent. Herbert is there with any of them. I mean, I don't think his film is as good as Tua or Burrow. Um, but I think when you talk about physical tools, the easy, quick release, the arm strength, um, the ability to make throws that very few guys can make. I mean, he physically has got everything you want. Um, 
And all I've ever heard is great kid, hard worker. So, yeah, I could see him being a top pick. Now, did he blow my doors off? No, none of the guys in truth, none of the quarterbacks in Mobile knocked my socks off. He did very well. He made some nice throws. But he didn't have that week that just blew me away. But let's remember, the best quarterback I've ever seen in Mobile was Jay Culler. And we all know what happened to that career in the NFL. So, I, I to me, with, a, with a Herbert, all I wanted to see was, is what I saw in film in terms of arm strength, quick release, is that all there? Yeah, it is. So then you just got to go back to the film and feel comfortable with it. The Kim Law kid, he was, and I have not done any film on him, just based on what I saw there. He was a man among children in terms of, most of the guys, and you know this, you've done this a long time, most D tackles are either big, powerful behemoths who can dominate the point of attack, or they're explosive guys who can get by guys. Now, Kim Law doesn't have the rare Warren Sapp explosiveness, but for a big, thick body, he's got a quick twitch to him to beat blockers. He's immensely powerful, and he can get off blocks even when they get their hands on him. He's going to be a real tough guy to block. I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't go in the top three or four picks. Even though everybody's pointing, saying San Diego's going Herbert or something, I could see him being the Chargers sort of anchor in the middle with Bosa and Ingram around him. I could see them saying that's the way we want to go. We're going to have a dominant D-line, and we're going to go with one of the quarterbacks we have. I want to throw one other guy out there that I thought had a really good week down there. Small school kid, the Ben Barch kid from St. John's. Um, yeah. Not many times a D3 kid can step in there and hold his own. Now, he didn't dominate, but I think he showed clearly that athletically, he's totally fine. He can stay with anybody in terms of offensive line athleticism. He is definitely a, a plus guy where I see athleticism to start. I think now you just want to see how quickly does he adapt to playing against the best athletes. But the week down in Mobile, he adapted pretty well, and I thought he held his own. I think if you're a team in that, ideally in that third round, you're going to take a shot. But it wouldn't shock me if someone in the second took a role on this kid because he's got the size, showed he has the athleticism. He's a high-character kid. I mean, you could get a kid like that. Usually they go first round because they end up at a prominent D1 school. This kid's at St. John's. Some team at the end of the second might decide, you know what, if this kid were at Michigan, he'd be a top-10 pick, top-15 pick. We're going to take him now because we don't want to risk not getting him in the third. Yeah, the long-term upside uh, with Ben Bartz, Benjamin Bartz, is definitely there. I don't, I don't view him as high as Ali Marpet coming out a couple of years ago. To me, Bartz is a guy that I probably want to, uh, you know, get in the weight room there, and, and and I think in a year or two though he'll be ready to step into a starting role. And hey, anytime you can pluck a starter in the second or third round, that's what it's all about. Um, I do have a, a kind of piggyback thought off of the Senior Bowl. So before I get there, any other players you want to throw out there from the week in Mobile, Russ, or can we shift gears here? I say we shift on gears. If we wanted to name all the guys who we did, thought did some good things, we'd be here for two more hours. Because even guys that didn't blow us away, oh, yeah. there were definitely guys that may have done a few things that caught our attention and opened our eyes. But no, I think we nailed the bulk of the guys that really, in my opinion, either – help themselves or solidify what everybody's thought of them coming there. No doubt. And shout out to Jim Nagy. I mean, you got to give him credit for the hundred. I, I didn't realize there was 122 senior bowl invites this year. Um, 120 received NFL combine invitations. So that's, that's a pretty good job there by Jim. Uh, 
Hey, Jared Maiden, the Alabama safety, and TJ Brunson, the South Carolina linebacker, are the only two players from the whole entire roster who didn't get a combine invite. So, hey, they stepped up their game, as did the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl 30 combine invites this year, Russ. Huh? 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 That is phenomenal. Um, I heard that's second best ever. Yeah. In, in, in uh, history of the NFLPA. That's pretty amazing. Well, they did. They had 34 combine invites, I believe, in 2017, uh, but 12 combine invites last year. We took it up to 30 this year, so I'm excited about that, and uh, we'll see where the cookies crumble. But uh, exciting, exciting time this this uh, February 12th here. Russell Landy, Rick Saratella, chopping it up with the NFL draft, counting you down to Las Vegas. Um, so my thought here, Russ, before we get into the combine, is I'm kind of, you know, reading the smoke uh, signals uh, emerging from this fire. And the fire is emerging uh, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, because I'm, I'm looking at some of the quotes floating around the Internet here. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm looking at Carson Palmer talk about, uh, you know, Cincinnati Bengals never wanted to win. That's why I was so happy. You know, when you, when you start hearing about a player talk about how happy he is to be on Arizona Cardinals because the, the Bengals have no desire to win. And then you hear TJ Hushmanzada, who's now working out with Joe Burrow, saying, you know, Joe just wants to go to a place where the organization wants to win. And then you hear uh, Joe Burrow's father, uh, who's also a coach, come out and say, well, Joe just wants to play for an organization that's dedicated to winning. If you're the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, are you reading the tea leaves? Are you getting a little concerned about some of these quotes coming out in the media here? Well, I think you have to be concerned. Um, I think the biggest thing at this point, if you're going to be want to classify yourself in terms of being a first-class, well-run organization, then you got to get out, get out in front and say, go meet with the kid. Get your head coach get your GM and get some other people, get them down there, meet with the kid. And that's where they got to figure out, Hey, what is it that are these legitimate? Or are they not? And that's really what they have to figure out. Are these concerns legitimate? I think they're, they're, the fact that we keep hearing it and keep hearing it makes you concerned that it could be legitimate. It wouldn't be something. Um, I don't know. It just seems Weird that you'd have all this smoke and no fire. So and, I'd be you know, very I mean, concerned. If I'm the and if I'm the Bengals, you've got to go find out what it is. Well, and 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 I mean, you know, if he really wanted to win over and secure that first overall pick, you think, hey, I'll go down to Mobile and you know, go fling it around a little bit, go go play for this coaching staff that's going to pick me number one overall. He chose not to do that, and I I look here. And, you know, we're seeing kind of a closeout to, I think, what, the 20, 2004 draft with the whole Eli Manning situation, uh, re- very reminiscent of the John Elway situation. I'm starting to think we might have a situation, <laughs> and I'm not talking about a Jersey Shore situation. I'm talking about a Las Vegas situation on our hands where uh, the Bengals, I mean, they might be forced to deal that pick and, I mean, on the flip side, I mean, they would receive quite a haul. I would imagine at least two or three uh, additional first-round picks into, you know, sliding back. But we'll see how it unfolds. I was curious to get your perspective on it. I think, you know, sometimes when there's smoke, there is fire, and there's been a lot of um, 
smoke signals being sent out, I believe, by the Joe Burrow camp. So we'll see how that situation unfolds. We'll see how the Indianapolis situation unfolds as the combine heads to prime time. Definitely going to shake up the dynamics of just the the nightlife in Indianapolis because the, the, the nightlife is where all the networking, contract negotiations, and wheeling and dealing uh, typically gets done. But now uh, the NFL will be performing all the drills and combine activities in prime time. I'm curious to see how it all unfolds. We'll talk about some of our uh, combine projections and preview here. But, uh, you know, the, the best part about Indianapolis is the networking, Russ. And we've had a chance now, I think, for the past several years to share a panel at the Sports Management Worldwide Football Career Conference, talking on the uh, scouting panel. And, and every year we have a great list of guests. And there's panels throughout the day. I mean, uh, they've got, you know, Adam Schefter and Mark Dominic and uh, Rick Spielman. I mean, uh, the list goes on and on and on and on. But if you are uh, either working in the football industry and want to expand your network or looking to break into the business, and, and create a network and, and just get to, you know, rub elbows with big timers like Russell Landy, right? Um, this is the event you want to be at in Indianapolis, the uh, Sports Management Worldwide Football Career Conference. And, you know, Russ, this it, it truly is my favorite uh, time during the week of Combine and uh, get a chance to meet a lot of uh, SMWW students. And I always say, hey, uh, I always address the audience say, hey, a lot of you guys are going to go on to be a lot more successful than I am. And, and that's one of the reasons why I always enjoy it because I always see the sports management worldwide graduates. And, you know, I might meet 100, 200 students each and every year, but every year there's always about five or six guys that go on to have guys or ladies that go on to have a, a career in the football business. And it starts right there at that sports management worldwide football career conference. It really does. You know, it's something now, I mean, this is over a decade I've been doing it, um, going to the conference, teaching their class. And, and really, the, uh, the, the, the class, the conference, it's really just a way to give you sort of almost like a playbook of, hey, here are the best ways to build a network, to give yourself a chance at getting a foot in the door somewhere to hopefully start a career working in football. Um, and what the conference does more than anything, aside from meeting a ton of other people that are like-minded and trying to pursue this goal and help you build a network that could lead to jobs um, now or could lead to jobs down the road, it gets you to Indianapolis. It gets you meeting some of the speakers. And if you're good about it, and this is where you really have to, I think, certain people really excel at this conference, other ones not so much, is if you're the type of person who is good at meeting people and going and meeting people that you don't know, then this conference can be unbelievably valuable because every person from an NFL team, every coach, every scout, every executive, they're all there in Indianapolis. So if you're the type of person who can socialize and go to different restaurants, different bars, and talk people up that you've never met before, that's the added bonus of going to this conference. You're going to meet tons of people at the conference, like I said, people that are attending it, people that are speaking. But the added bonus is if you are the type who can go out and make contacts with people you don't know, there's everybody in the NFL there. It's an opportunity 
to get to know these people and start that relationship. It's not easy, but certain people are good at it. Conference is a great time. We've always enjoyed doing it for the last 10 to 12 years. I've been doing it. Love being a part of it and looking forward to really less than two weeks away now before I head to Indianapolis. I'm very excited. Now always a good time. And to your point, I literally leave Indianapolis with a sack full of business cards. I probably walk away with, with 100 business cards every year. It's unbelievable. So, uh, oh, no question. Sure it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and, and listen, uh, I just spoke to uh, uh, Lynn and Liz. Uh, this is going to be a sellout event. So get your tickets, sportsmanagementworldwide.com. This will sell out. And I look forward to all of you out there who are going to be in attendance. And if, if you are going to be in attendance, drop me a line. RIC at NFLDraftBible.com. I'd love to hear with you. Let's, uh, let's connect before we get out to Indy. Um, <clears throat> but when we are out in Indy, Russ, we're going to be looking for a few things uh, here that we've highlighted. And, um, you know, let's start off with guys that are going to, you know, kind of Blow the roof off of Lucas Oil Stadium by the end of the week. Who are some guys that are going to be buzzing uh, that we can't stop talking about that we're going to come back onto the podcast and discuss after they blow up Indianapolis? You know, to me, three guys – I mean, there's going to be tons of guys that impress, but three guys to me going into it that I, I just – I think – they're better than they're getting credit for. Um, first of all, we were just talking about the Troutman kid, the tight end from Dayton. I really think the Hunter Bryant kid, the tight end out of Washington. Um, I understand this kid's not a blocker, but I really think that once he gets out there and works out and people see his quick twitch athleticism, they see his hands in, in the gauntlet drill, I think all of a sudden they're going to realize, wow, this kid, he may not fit the role that every team has for that tight end, but for a team that's going to ask a guy to catch 70 balls and make an impact lining up all over the field as a receiving tight end, this kid is a guy that can do that. Um, and I think he's going to help himself. The other kid we talked about, um, the Herbert kid, how well he did in Mobile. This, this event at the Combine is so tailored to a guy like Jacob Easton because it really just comes down to physical tools. It's not in-game situations. It's not reading the defense and making the right decision. It's just Sure, release quickness, arm strength, ability to put the ball on the money. Can he do those things? How athletic is he? I think this kid could destroy it. I think this kid could all of a sudden put himself in position to be that number four quarterback and really not just be that guy, sort of lock up as the number four quarterback, as a guy that maybe ends up being a late first. I don't think that's likely. I think he's more of a second. But I think this kid's going to really go there and blow people's doors off and show that he is physically – a freak in terms of quarterback talent and that he deserves consideration. And the last guy I mentioned, a lot of people have seen him because he was the running back at LSU, the Clyde Edwards Hilaire kid. He's not getting the hype of some of the other running backs, but I really think after his display, when he goes to the combine and shows that he is such a versatile athlete who can contribute in so many ways, I think this is a guy that all of a sudden teams are going to say, okay, in this day and age of an NFL running back getting 10, 12 carries, seven or eight catch or targets in every game that this is the guy who's sort of the new wave of running back. He's sort of a Christian McCaffrey type guy contributes in all areas. He's not a, just a hand the ball to him guy. He's got to can play anywhere, do anything. I really think he's going to help himself. And I think he's going to sort of move himself into position to be one of the top two or three running backs selected. Whereas I don't know if right now he really is getting that consideration. 
Yeah, you know, it's very quietly shaping up to be an incredible. Uh, everybody's talking about the wide receivers and 55 wide receivers in Indianapolis, which is insane. But uh, between the LSU, Clyde Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, um, Travis Etienne, I mean, this is a locked and loaded running back class. So, yes, I agree. And LSU, I mean, I think they set some kind of combine record where they have like 16 players going to the NFL combine. So it's very, very easy to get lost in the mix there when you're sharing a backfield with Joe Burrow. And you mentioned Hunter Bryant. I mean, uh, he comes in a shade under six foot three, I believe. So to me, he's got to kind of play that Jordan Reed, uh, H-back kind of role. Uh, so, yeah, I think he could potentially be the top tight end in this class. I think the combine will help dictate that. And then, you know, you mentioned Easton securing that number four quarterback spot. And I think, you know, at this point, uh, Burrow, Herbert, Tua, those are the consensus top three. Uh, how do you have it just quickly here going into the combine in terms of Easton, Love, and Rom? How do you rank those three? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, I mean, to me, it really Easton and Fromm are my my are right there neck and neck. Um, I probably like Fromm's above the shoulders a little more, and Easton's physical above a little more. Um, Love to me is is below those guys. Um, he did not, even though a lot of people are saying he blew, he was so impressive in Mobile. I did not get blown away by him. Um, I thought he was just a solid guy there. He didn't show me anything special. Um, I really think Eason is sort of a wild card here because physically, if he does what I think he will at the combine, I think he will separate himself from Fromm because people just see how much pure talent he has, regardless of the film. I'm just saying just pure arm talent and athleticism. He could separate himself to where all of a sudden he is four all by himself. Um I just think he, he is a unique guy. Um, one year as a starter pretty much at Washington and really looked good in that one year. Um, so he, I, I'm just not sold on love. Um, I know a lot of people have been hyping him all year, and now they're saying first round. I just don't see a first-round quarterback when I look at him. Yeah, I agree. I'd be very hesitant to pull the trigger there because as a GM, I mean, you take Jordan Love in the first round and it doesn't pan out. I mean, that can cost you your job right there. So, uh, you know, guys, guys for me, you know, Ashton Davis, this Cal safety, I think right now he's a yeah. top 50 guy. I, I, this guy has a track background, former walk-on. Uh, I think he's going to light up Indianapolis. And I think he's going to actually solidify himself as a first-round pick when it's all said and done. Um, and I got another safety, Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, of course, we remember oh, his father, yeah. redshirt sophomore, coming off of an injury a year ago. This guy lights out. I mean, he's dynamic. I think he has a chance to kind of catapult him up, himself up into the first-round conversation. And then Michael Walker, who <clears throat> I tried to get out at the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl. I like him as a Mike. He wanted to play edge and prove himself there. He went to the Shrine game and said, I don't care where you're playing. He's just a football player. Uh, reminds me of uh, Hassan Reddick coming out a few years ago at Temple where, you know, he could play multiple positions uh, depending on scheme. And then the last two guys, I don't know if they're necessarily going to blow up Indianapolis, but I wanted to give them a shout out here in the show somewhere. And one is Charlie Werner, the Georgia tight end. 
who had an incredible week of practice at the NFLPA Collegiate Ball. It was rewarding to hear all the scouts that were not in Pasadena. Word got out about Charlie Warner, Georgia tight end. Word got out. The scouts are aware of him. He's a legit guy. I mean, I don't. He's a for a big athletic kid. He's more athletic than you would think because he's a big, good-looking kid and he can run. He can catch. He blows me away when I when I get to see the athletic clips of him. And you know, he's almost like a Kevin Boss where he's gonna block his ass off and, and he could surprisingly make these uh, plays, these catches. So. Um, I like Charlie Warner. And then the other guy, Russ, we're both fans of. We've talked about him a lot. It seems like he's almost like the forgotten man here. I see all these uh, uh, mock drafts floating around, and this guy's not even in the first round of a lot of them. I'm stunned. I think he's going to remind everybody, not so much in the timing or the testing, but more, more so in the positional work that, hey, this is a big, physical, fast receiver that just – Aren't too many guys walking plain and earth. LaVisca Chanel, it's almost like we've forgotten about this now. No doubt. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, firstly, I can just tell right there you're using my line. So that, that tells me we've been hanging out a lot because <laughs> I use the old dark. That many people that size are walking the planet, which I love. So I love to hear you using it. But, yeah, how this guy is not getting the credit? I mean, I know that the, the Judy kid and the Ruggs kid, I know all these guys are, are maybe faster than him, but are there real receivers that are as athletic as him, that run as good routes as him, that are as strong and powerful as him? I mean, I, I don't get it. They, either I'm missing something or there's something we don't know character-wise or, or, or injury-wise or something, because to me, this kid's a tremendous football player. Um, I think he's a lot like Keenan Allen um, coming out of school. Um, I think he's a little bit quicker, a little bit faster. But to me, he's that guy who's going to catch 80, 90 balls a year. He's going to be your go-to guy. He's going to make every clutch catch you could ever ask. And he's going to gain yards after the catch. I like this kid a lot. I agree with you. I don't see how this kid doesn't end up a first-round pick. Yeah, I'll take it a step further. To me, he's a top-20 lock. I guess we'll just have to wait till April to see. Uh, Russell Landy, Rick Saratella, breaking down the NFL scouting combine. We'll be on location for that week of Indianapolis. And, uh, you know, for me, Russ, there's one guy I'm looking forward to here in terms of just participating, and that's because we didn't get a chance to see him in Mobile. He failed his physical. I don't know what that's all about, but I'm curious to know how the medical goes. And then I'm curious to see Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State here uh, perform because I talked to a lot of West Coast scouts. They've got a first-round grade on this kid. We just mentioned about a half a dozen wide receivers who are also in the mix for the first round. 55 wideouts in Indianapolis, only half of them are going to get drafted. But for me, you know, Brandon Ayuk from uh, Arizona State, I mean, this is a guy I'm anxious to see what he's going to do at the NFL scouting combine. Give me a guy that you're looking forward to seeing perform out in Indy. Well, firstly, yeah, I'm 100% with you on him. I mean, he's a guy that when you watch him, he he changes games. Um, there are not many receivers that are as complete, in my opinion, as him. So, yeah, I can't wait to see him. But how about the big Beckton kid from Louisville? I mean, this yeah. is a kid that I don't think gets enough credit for how he moves for a big guy. I think people get so enamored with the fact that he's a giant 
they sort of write off and they say, oh, he's a huge offensive lineman. And they forget, he's got good feet for a big guy. He's a good athlete. I'm excited to see him there because I think the thing that the, people don't realize, one of the great things of the Combine, aside from the medical and interviews, which are the primary reason the Combine exists for NFL teams, is when you get to watch the positional drills, you get to see one guy go right after another, right after another, and you really can compare feet, athleticism, flexibility for linemen. So for a guy like Becton, who's bigger than almost all the other tackles that are going to be out there, I want to see how he moves. I think he's going to move better than most of the tackles there. And I think all of a sudden the life's going to go on and people are going to say, wow, he's bigger than most and he's more athletic than most. And his production was really good. That's why he's a first-round pick. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him move around and show people that he's a far better athlete than I think he's getting credit for. Agree. I'm excited to see him as I'm excited to see all the offensive linemen, because I think that's the one position where there's no consensus guy. Some guys like the Alabama kids, some guys like the Georgia kids and, you know, some guys like this Louisville kid. So I think, you know, we're going to come away and kind of figure out what the pecking order is there in terms of the top offensive tackles in the 2020 NFL class. So those are some guys we're excited about. Uh, how about a guy or guys that you're curious about just from a question of Mark standpoint, not really questioning the talent, but just kind of curious to see how their week in Indy is going to unfold. Well, I got three guys. First and most important is Marcus Bailey, the linebacker out of Purdue. Um, Ooh, I, don't even see, I don't even know if he'll do any workouts, but I want to see how does the medical come back. I mean, this guy blew his knee on what, week one? Or we, or we want to practice even in, in fall camp for Purdue. Um, when you go back and watch the film from him in 2018, this guy looks like a first-round pick. I mean, he's everywhere. He's making tons of tackles, great in coverage, rushing the pass. I mean, he's, he's what you want in a three-down linebacker, but he missed the season due to injury. So if that medical comes back clean, I could see all of a sudden people starting to buzz and this kid getting pushed back up and to be a first-round pick. Two other guys I really want to see because everybody is talking about them being enormously high, potentially first-round or maybe top ten in the second-round picks are J.K. Dobbins, a running back out of Ohio State, and A.J. Apenza from Iowa. Because mm. to me, I'm still trying to figure these guys out. When I look at Dobbins, I see a strong, powerful back, but I don't see a quick twitch athlete. I see sort of a one-speed guy. I don't see that explosive guy. I want to see him move around athletically, be able to compare him to other backs. Maybe I'm not seeing it correctly. And when I look at Epinesa, um, firstly, he's not going to be the first DN taken. We know that's Chase Young's spot, and that ain't changing. But I want to see from this kid, I want to see quickness and burst. I see the power. I see his ability to play with leverage. I think he does an incredible job of using his hands to control the offensive tackle, both rushing the pass and right against the run. But I want to see, does he have that suddenness in the drills? Because I don't see a lot of suddenness when I watch his film. That's what I want to see from him to overcome my concern that maybe he's going to be more of a power defensive end that he is a dominant all-around defensive end who can beat guys around the corner and through the block yeah empanenza i think is one of the more interesting case studies in this year's draft and you know you mentioned dobbins we talked about all the great running backs in this year's draft because dobbins is another one who you know he talked to a couple of people they think he might be the best running back in the draft so we'll find out about that um you know for me i've got a few guys here too uh I try to run through them. You know, 
CJ O'Grady, I mean, he was just making splash plays all week long out in Pasadena. Uh, a guy that, you know, at, at the early on in the season, we went into Arkansas. We thought we had no shot of having CJ O'Grady at the NFL PA Bowl. Now, we had no idea. You know, we don't know the full details and the whole story, but, you know, he, he quit the team, uh, didn't get a senior bowl invite, but he was worthy enough, talented enough to, to get one. But, uh, he now has a combine invite. So you talk about team interviews and, and, and teams wanting to get to know a player and a playmaking tight end yeah. he is, he is Grady. I mean, that's going to be a curious player that I'm looking forward to seeing compete. Um, how about Malcolm Perry? I mean, you know, where is he going to play at the next level? What is he going to run? Uh, where is he going to practice? And so, and also the Memphis uh, kid Gibson, who was invited, we were going to invite him as a receiver to the NFL PA Bowl. He got the senior bowl invite as a running back. And then if you look at the combine invite, he's listed as a wide receiver. So will he strictly work out with the wide receivers? Will he also do some running back drills? I'm curious to know. And then, you know, one last guy I'll throw out there. I don't know if you have an opinion on him, Russ, but we're always looking for these developmental quarterbacks. We've talked about Jalen Hurts. We've talked about Nate Stanley. How about this Cole McDonald from Hawaii? He's, you know, got the ability to make all the throws. He's got good arm strength. You know, there's some question marks there. How do you see a, a Cole McDonald emerging from the week in Indianapolis? Well, I think it's a big week for him because I think – the one thing that people don't know about the NFL scouting is very few teams, if any, send any scouts to actually go to the school at Hawaii because just financially it doesn't make sense. So you can see him live in games on the mainland, but seeing a guy live in a game is a little bit different than seeing a guy in practice where you really get to dive deep and sort of watch a lot of the smaller things he does. So this week at the combine, you're going to get a real chance to sort of get a feel for him physically. Um, you can be pretty sure no GMs have seen him live. So they want to get a feel for how quick does the ball come out of his hand? How strong is his arm? Um, how does he do in a more traditional just drop and, and identify the receiver and throw it in sort of a non-structured setting, which is this basically really sort of a pitch and catch. I think they want to get a feel for how does he look doing that physically because a lot of them have not seen him live. It's a big week for him. Um, I don't think he's a guy that's going to vault himself into that upper category, but I think what he can do is solidify himself as a solid mid-round guy if he does well. If he struggles, this is a guy that I can see there's a lot of teams saying, I know you guys gave him good grades when you scouted him and went and saw him when he was playing this school and did the film, but we just saw him live and he really struggled. I can't put it, I can't make him a draftable guy. So that's why to any Hawaii guys, this always can really help them or can really, really knock them down really far at the combine because it's the first time a lot of the higher ups ever see them live. Yeah, I think he is definitely, in terms of curiosity, the most uh, intriguing quarterback of the week. So, uh, last category we have here, Russ, and this one is more for the people than it is for the scouts. And we all know, hey, uh, we try, and we, we, I still make this mistake. We try not to put too much emphasis on the 40-yard dash, right? Uh, but it's hard not to when you know uh, when you're out there, but. Um, the fans always want to know who's going to be the fastest man in Indy. And we saw John Ross uh, a couple of years ago break the modern-day record. You know, uh, Bo Jackson, 419, still, you know, stands as the all-time uh, record. But 
We saw John Ross break the modern day record. Uh, does anybody who who will be the fastest man in any? Does anybody stand a chance to break that? What is it? Four two four mark that he said. You know, I think it's going to be tough. I mean, I don't know all the smaller school guys that are going to be there trying to put their name, but I'll, I think there are two big-name school players. Now, one's a safety, so I, I don't think he's going to break the record, but I could see him being in the low four threes, and that's the Grant Delpit kid from LSU. Um, for some reason, he's sort of been the forgotten man this year. Came in the year as a top-ten pick, and all of a sudden, people aren't really talking about him. He still gets ranked there by a lot of people in their mock dress, but you don't even hear him talk about. I think he's going to run real well. And the other kid that I love, I talked about him in the preseason, I think he's going to surprise people with how fast he runs at the junior corner at Ohio State, Akuta. This kid, I think, is going to blaze his 40. I think he's going to be in that low four threes. I think he's going to vert in the 40s. And I think people are going to all of a sudden be considering him one of the premier athletes in the whole draft by the time the combine is done. Yeah, I, I already have him as a top five prospect. I think, you know, that'll just be the icing on the cake. And uh, Exactly. Okuda's a good one. You know, I think the, the leading candidate might be the wide receiver from Alabama, this kid Ruggs. Um, yeah, oh, he can burn. run. There's no doubt. Yeah, and I think he, I think he was up to like tw- over 23 miles per hour on the catapult, and that's like Tyreek Hill fast. So, yeah, I'm exactly. Curious see, I'm, I'm curious to see what he runs. I'll give you the dark horse candidate, and you know we had him out at the NFL PA Bowl, and he had a, a, like a 90 yard kick return out of Louisiana Lafayette. This Raymond Khalif. And he is talk about straight line speed. I mean, you put the ball in this man and you blink, he's gone. And I think, you know, he could be a guy that runs, you know, that sub four three mark that, that raises everybody's eyes eyebrows. I think he could be a candidate to do that. So Ruggs and Raymond Khalif, uh one of those right. thirty combine invites from the NFL PA bowl. How great how great would it be if if the NFL PA can start a run? Make this year the first year you get the fastest guy at the combine and then start doing it year after year and end up at like 10 or 12 years in a row where fastest guy comes from the NFL PA game. Let's start it off this year, baby. I'm excited for it, but he's got legit legit 4-3 speed. So, uh, hey, man, it's been another uh, hour of power. Time always flies talking to Russell Landy each and every week here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. We'll be breaking it down counting you down to the 2020 NFL draft out in Las Vegas. Uh, we'll, we'll get back here on the horn next week here before we depart for Indy Rust. Any parting shots for the people before we wrap it up? No, just uh, this is a great time of year. If you're really into the draft, get the draft Bible. There's nothing like it. Nobody gives you more inside information, more unbiased opinions. That's one of the most important and best things about Rick. I mean, I've, I've known Rick for years, but I've only known Rick well for about two years. And the thing that I love about Rick and the draft Bible is they don't care what all the GMs say. They don't care what other draft people say. They're going to go with what they see on film. So you're going to get unbiased opinions based on evaluating the film. And that's why the draft Bible is my go-to book. So that's my little pub for you, Rick. You, your your stuff deserves it. to be mentioned everywhere and anywhere so people can get it and see what it's really like to go out and put yourself on the line and not just put grades out there that uh, are based on where they're ranked on NFL Network and ESPN. 
Well, I appreciate that, Ross, and we've been doing this now since 2002, and it's it's taken a long time to get that street cred, but it's it's finally here, and it's great to hear you know talking to some of the GMs that we have relationships with, and hearing them say you know my staff doesn't even have this much detail in their reports at this time uh, of year, so we'll be dropping that All Star Game recap, which essentially is 350 plus scouting reports. There was over 350 players between the Senior Bowl, the Shrine Game, the NFL PA Bowl. We've got scouting reports on them all. We're just crossing the T's, dotting the I's. We'll have it out there to you within a week or so. Make sure you go to NFLDraftBible.com. Make sure you subscribe here on Blog Talk Radio for all of our infectious scouting podcasts and player interviews. Our, our guy, Ryan Roberts, is doing a great job with the player interviews. Make sure you follow us uh, at Russ Landy, at NFL Draft Bible, and we'll be at your podcast destination right here next week. Till the next time, everybody. Once it gets into your stream, there's no vaccine. You've got the sickness, too. Thanks for listening to the Infectious Scouting Podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.